Today's episode of Prospects to Pros is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think college and NFL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in only two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play. Work that clock to your advantage and score last minute tickets. Welcome to another episode of the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I'm Chris Burke on Twitter at Chris Burke NFL, joined by Dane Brugler at DP Brugler and our producer behind the scenes, Kent Garrison. Uh, just another quick reminder, as we do every week, this is our free episode. We have two episodes per week. You can get this one uh, everywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, wherever. Uh we're rocking the five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts right now, so hopefully <laughs> uh, you've either given us that review or feel the same and want to jump in there and and uh, drop another one in there. We really appreciate it if you have already, especially if you left a comment. Uh, and then our Thursday show, which we usually use to look ahead to the coming football week, is available for Athletic subscribers only, so hop on theathletic.com slash prospects to pros. You can get 40% off a subscription. That gets you access to our entire podcast network, uh, and everything else on the athletic. So uh, with that, I'll go over to Dane Brugler, uh, and we're a week away from the XFL draft here. Is Dane, you getting, uh, <laughs> excited yet? Yeah, of course. Uh, it's, it is interesting to look <laughs> through some of the names that the XFL has released. Uh, you know, just a, some blast from the past. Um, you know, uh, Nate, Trey McBride, wide receiver from William and Mary, who. I liked. I thought he'd be. I thought he'd stick in the NFL longer than he did. But it it is interesting and. Uh, not to get off topic too much, but uh, Andy Staples this morning had an article on The Athletic that talked about Kenny Robinson, who, uh, for those that don't know, former West Virginia safety, who uh, was suspended this uh, in the offseason for academic fraud. But this is an NFL talent, and this is his junior year, but he's not playing um, you know, because, because he was suspended or kicked off the team, and uh, it would have been tough to transfer elsewhere. He's going to be in the XFL draft, and it it brings up an interesting path for college players who want to play professionally but are not yet NFL eligible. And so this is going to be an interesting test case with Kenny Robinson to see how he does. Uh, he could play one year in the XFL and then move on to the NFL if, if he wants because, again, the NFL rule, uh, you have to be three years removed uh, from high school. And so, like I said, this would be Kenny Robinson's junior season uh, in college. Uh, but instead, he is going to try the XFL. And so it's going to be really fascinating to see how that plays out because we could see more and more players go that route. And if they, instead of playing college football, if they want to play professionally, that option might be there for them. So I know that wasn't the direction you were taking us, but I uh, thought I'd just uh, <laughs> add that because it, it is interesting. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's going to be kind of an interesting draft. They're basically picking teams from scratch and doing it, and it's set up in, like, pods. You pick uh, guys from, like, skill positions first and then line position, you know, mm-hmm. the, the offensive line. Like, you're picking 10 at a time. So 
over two days next week. Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit, uh, see if anything uh, strikes your fancy next week after that draft happens. But uh, we got to get into last weekend in uh, both college football uh, and the NFL. <laughs> Looked like we had some interesting matchups in college football. Auburn, Florida held up for the most part. Um, Michigan State, Ohio State didn't really. Uh, had a couple upsets. Cincinnati pulled one off uh, over UCF. Uh, I was at the Michigan-Iowa punt spectacular. <laughs> um, so we can talk about that if you want. But uh, I guess just start with uh, – we, we sort of previewed a couple of these games that Auburn-Florida won, the Utah State trip to LSU. Uh, anything really jump out for you last weekend? Well, you know, with the Utah State uh, going to LSU, obviously – the main and really the only reason to watch that was Jordan Love, the the quarterback who is supremely talented, but obviously still rough around the edges, still finding his footing. And going to Baton Rouge, early kickoff uh, against a really tough defense. Um, you know, we said it last week. He didn't have to throw four touchdowns and 300 yards. He just didn't have to. He just had to look okay doing it. He You know, he couldn't uh, look shell-shocked. And I don't think he looked shell-shocked. He did have three interceptions. Um, but some of those were, you know, when the game was already out of reach, it was third and long and he's just kind of chucking it downfield. So, you know, the three interceptions didn't bother me as much. Um, you know, he does have more turnovers than you'd like to see this season, but he, it's the throws that he did make that kind of made you, okay. Yeah. That's why he's considered a potential top 10 pick. Uh, there was one pass, um, I think it was just a simple post that the receiver dropped. It would have been probably a touchdown. Um, the, he did complete a few downfield throws, touch on his – that's probably what he does best, his downfield touch. Uh, I mean, some of these throws, it doesn't matter if he's you know flat-footed in the pocket or if he's rolling out on the move. He can just you know put a parachute on one of those balls and loft it in there perfectly uh, to his receiver downfield. So that natural touch that he offers to go along with just the raw skill, the size, the arm strength – the movement skills, all those things put together is why he's going to be in that conversation to be one of the first quarterbacks drafted. And even though the box score looks pretty bad against LSU, I thought he did enough where, you know, he still is tantalizing as a prospect. You know, he the, the shine hasn't rubbed off on him just yet. And um, I, it's, it's going to be interesting as we move forward, um, you know, if he decides to leave early, uh, you know, then we'll start to get a little more real. Um, the... The Auburn-Florida game, you know, we talked a little bit about um, the Florida pass rushers and Auburn uh, tackles and how that would play a part. I I thought it did somewhat, but – and they also mentioned Derek Brown, who, of course, had – he almost had one of the best uh, big men. (laughs) Should have had it. Yeah, Yeah. the the 40-yard line got him, Uh, but he – he looked good. I mean, he he is as advertised. He's 6'4", 325, the quickness, the power. Um, I mean, there's not a whole lot that you can say uh, for, with Derek Brown that would, uh, you know, give you reason not to draft him and draft him high. Um, you know, I think you could pretty much lock him into the top 20 picks. The bigger question might be, is he worth a top 10 pick or is he, you know, Deron Payne 11 to 20 good? Uh, I think that's something where teams will differ a little bit but i mean he he is top 20 first round good no question about that so um that he lived up to it but florida's a pretty good team and you know we'll talk about this uh, a little bit more uh, on our thursday episode but uh florida's going to baton rouge and 
they got a big contest coming up this Saturday, and it's going to be uh, a bigger test for them and a bigger test for Joe Burrow, who's going to face a secondary with a lot of future NFL players. Uh, so really looking forward to that. But again, we'll get into that on Thursday. Yeah, that Florida defense kind of put it on uh, Bo Nix. a tough assignment for him going in there uh, into the swamp and playing. Um, yeah, yeah, just on Jordan Love. I mean, like you said, I think it was – it's one of those games that's sort of tough to read because I, he didn't – Obviously didn't play great, but uh, right from the start, LSU's pressure was kind of all over him. Um, you could just see it was a team that was, you know, it, it, Utah State didn't match up well with LSU. Right. Like, you know, I didn't really expect them to necessarily. But I think um, even, you know, like I said, sort of right out of the gate, you could tell that they were going to have trouble protecting him all day. As you mentioned the drops. Um, you'd still like to see him play a little better, but it's it's one of those games we sort of circled. We've been talking about for – for weeks now about how's he going to perform what's it going to look like after this and uh i think it leaves open a lot of things for debate still just because you i think you can kind of not necessarily excuse things away but just sort of point back and say well like you know at some point what's he supposed to do if he's making these passes he's getting the drops he's under pressure all the time um I, i think it was really just a difficult day all around for that offense and and he kind of bore the brunt of it uh one guy i did want to ask you about um, in that Auburn Florida game, and you you mentioned Brown, we've talked about him, like just his penetration in the backfield. There were times where, uh, and I'm sure you know other teams will continue to do this. That Florida basically was just letting him almost release into the backfield and trying to trap him and uh, run back into that hole where he'd come from because he was getting off the ball so quickly. But uh, they did get 130 yards rushing from uh, Lamichael Pirine, uh, 88 on the long touchdown he had. Just Curious what you think about him as a prospect. Uh, he's a guy that uh, came into the season looking to drop some weight, get a little lighter, get a little faster. Still runs pretty hard. <laughs> that was sort of his one of his calling cards, at least uh, all along, is just sort of how hard he runs. But uh, do you like him as a prospect? I do. Uh, I, he's more physical than elusive as a runner. But, uh, you know, I, I think that the, he might not have any special traits. Like, there's nothing about him that really get you excited but there's nothing about him that you go well that's going to keep him from being a pro you know he he has nfl ability he might not have anything that really separates him but he's highly physical as a runner uh he does a nice job in pass pro he's got quick feet he's going he can seal uh lanes uh for rushing lanes uh and, and do a nice job uh when he's asked to block and stay home um, he needs to clean up some things, but the toughness is there, the want to, um, you know, the size, the strength. Um, and then just as a runner, uh, he, he can run through tackle attempts. And we saw that on that 88 yard run against Auburn. I mean, he went low and hit the linebacker in the hole, bounced right off him and then turned on the jets and took it the rest of the way. So, you know, his ability to lower his pads, play physical, uh, I think LaMichael, uh, P Ryan is, uh, one of the senior running backs that, uh, is going to be drafted. Uh, his and he can lean on his cousin a little bit, who was drafted a few years ago, running back out of Oklahoma, Samaj P. Ryan. Um, but you, we look at this running back class for the seniors: Zach Moss uh, from Utah, Kashawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt. Um, there's a few others that I know scouts like: Scotty Phillips from Ole Miss. Uh, scouts like him: Joshua Kelly from UCLA hasn't really had the senior season that many thought, but. Um, teams are still uh, high on him. TCU has a pair of guys, but P Ryan's right there in that mix um, to be, uh, you know, a draftable player. And I don't think he's going to 
light up the combine or anything like that. But uh, wouldn't be surprised if we see him at the Senior Bowl and see him get drafted somewhere on day three. Is uh is Cameron Scarlett anywhere on that list? I mentioned there were it wasn't a ton of movement in the top twenty five, but you know Cincinnati had the upset uh, and uh, Stanford had the win over Washington twenty three thirteen. Um, I, I guess kind of overall another hit to the Pac-12 uh, as just a conference in terms of what they're hoping to do in the postseason. But uh, 151 yards for Cameron Scarlett, 33 carries. Really his first breakout game of the season since taking over as the number one back. He's been kind of just a volume guy so far, nothing necessarily to write home about. But uh, that's a performance that makes you maybe open some eyes somewhere. Is he? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you have a read on him or how much you've watched of him at this point. Well, and that, that might have been the surprise of the weekend was seeing what – I mean, just – and that's one reason why I think we all, all love college football is just when you think you know, you don't. And, you know, <laughs> right. Stanford looked awful this year and uh, Washington looked like they were on the upswing and then, you know, they – Stanford was able to get back to their identity, what they do best, and that's run the football. Uh, even with uh, a lot of youth on that offensive line, they opened up holes for Scarlett and – uh, he did a nice job taking advantage of it. So I, to me, I gave Scarlett a an undrafted uh, grade. Um, I haven't, I haven't heard much buzz on him. Um, but you know, it, it was a good opportunity for him that he took advantage of. And if he's able to maybe string together a few more of performances like that, then I think we'll start to hear more about him. But I think right now uh, he's more on the outside looking in. Um, I did want to ask you about uh, the game you were at on Saturday. Uh, I know it wasn't the most entertaining game from uh, an offensive standpoint, but both those teams have plenty of future uh, NFL guys, uh, especially Iowa with uh, uh, Tristan Wirfs, the right tackle. Um, and then on the defensive side, AJ Epinesa. And then also wanted to get your, your take on Nate Stanley. Cause there's, you know, there was some love on the streets uh, this summer uh, with, with Nate Stanley. Uh, a lot of scouts thought he was the number two senior quarterback behind uh, Nate Herbert, or uh, excuse me, Justin Herbert. So, you know, Nate Stanley, uh, those three guys especially, uh, any read on seeing those guys live compared to maybe what you thought going in? Yeah, well, it was sort of uh, for that Iowa offense, it was sort of like what I was just talking about with. Jordan Love and Utah State. I mean, Nate Stanley got they, Michigan sacked him eight times. Iowa fumbled uh, on its first play from scrimmage. Like he just didn't have a whole lot of an opportunity to get rolling. Um, I mean, I I think a lot of a lot of the hype on him really is just the sort of the prototype, right? Just the size and the whatever you think about his arm strength. But right. he's a big guy. He's tough to bring down. Even on those sacks, you know, he he made a couple guys miss. He took two or three Michigan defenders to get him down a few times. So you can see from a physical standpoint, um, you know, why some people might like him. I, it was a tough game. If you're looking for great throws, I don't think there were a lot. Um, you know, he had uh, a couple bad ones too. Levert Hill picked him off on a throw that he probably shouldn't have made up the sideline. Um, when Iowa was close to scoring territory, uh, just there weren't a whole lot of plays that stood out for me other than, showing a little bit of escapability. And I think that goes back to, you know, they they brought Alaric Jackson back from injury. Um, I, I think he he was looked rusty to me. I don't think that was the guy that we've seen sort of build up as a pro prospect. You know, Tristan Wirfs didn't necessarily stand out as uh, someone who, who blew up that game or looked terrible. I think he had a fine game. But Alaric Jackson, I think Michigan sort of 
maybe I don't want to say targeted him, but I think they maybe saw some opportunities there with him coming back from injury, hoping he was rusty. He did look a little rusty. A lot of their pressures came on just blitzes up the middle where they Iowa offense didn't pick up anyone or got outnumbered. Um, they ended up rushing for one yard. Like the whole offense, it was a very, very odd game for the Iowa offense. So um, I think Epinesa had a nice day, though. He he was impressive to see in person. You can see that burst. He got some one-on-one shots, uh, which – you know, maybe you hang that on the. We know what we've talked about the Michigan offense before and some of the issues they have. I don't know that that's necessarily the matchup you want to test is AJ Epinesa one on one on the edge. But I think when he was in those positions, he really took advantage of him. He had a sack. He uh, flushed Shea Patterson a few times. I thought he was one of the better players in that game. Um, I mentioned Levert Hill had the pick. There were some other guys from that Michigan defense that you you might look at as potential draft candidates down the road, but. Uh, I don't know. Did you uh, did you slog through that one on TV at all? I did. I mean, I, I had an eye on both <laughs> Jordan Love and that game, and then uh, the, I was watching the Iowa uh, Michigan game, and yeah, I thought I thought Werfs was the only offensive lineman who actually held his own. He had maybe one false start or a holding call later, late in the fourth quarter. And that, that was really, and then he was beat in the second quarter. Those were the only two negatives I had on him. Every other rep, I thought he did terrific and kind of lived up to kind of what we think Tristan Wirfs is. But I think you nailed it on Alaric Jackson. He he was rusty when in his uh, first game back from injury. Um, Nate Stanley, uh, yeah, I, you're right. He is a power thrower and he has the size uh, and he's a, Smart guy, he's a veteran guy. Just, I don't know. I, I just don't know about his feet. Uh, looks like he's slow to process things at times. Uh, you know, when that first read's taken away, uh, Michigan really kind of exploited uh, that with their ability to get on him and put pressure on him. Um, Kalik Hudson for Michigan's an interesting guy. He's he looks like a safety, but he plays linebacker. Uh, kind of plays that viper position uh, where. You know, he plays, he's more of a linebacker. He blitzes a lot. Um, he'll drop and cover the middle of the field. Um, I'm not sure where he's going to play at the next level because, again, he does have a little bit of that that tweener size. Uh, you know, it's like, what do you do with a 5'11", 215-pound two, linebacker who is at his best when he's blitzing? You know, like, it, it's just, it's a little bit of a mismatched right. skill set. But he's talented, and there's some, there's, there's, you know, talent there that you can work with. So um, I think he's certainly draftable. It's just kind of figuring out, you know, where is he best fit? Is he just, is he mainly a special teams guy at the next level? What, what is he going to do? Uh, then you mentioned Lavert Hill, who I thought he had a terrific sophomore year. Uh, when I scouted him last summer, really, really intrigued. I thought he was going to be a player. And then last year as a junior, very up and down. Um, I thought he got beat uh, way more than he had positive plays. And then this year, it's been a little bit hot cold where he'll have some excellent reps. Then he'll have uh, maybe he'll, he'll hold downfield or he'll you know, his body position's all wrong. So I think there's there's a lot to like with Lavert Hill. Um, just needs to get better with uh, his discipline down the field. Uh, grabs way too much, yeah. but... There, there's something there, and I mean, he he is a draftable player. Uh, he's not the biggest guy. Um, I'll be eager to find out what exactly he runs, uh, but uh, he, he had a good game. I thought he helped himself. Yeah, he. I mentioned the interception. He did give up a. It was third and twenty-two or third and twenty-four. It was basically just a go route uh, that they threw at him one on one and uh, gave up a catch there. The 
the grabbing and holding, I think, is it's sort of become just a part of the Michigan secondary. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's just how Don, Don, Don Brown coaches them up when they play that aggressive man-to-man. And so it is always something you got to kind of see if they're able to shake um, moving forward. Uh, I mentioned that we talked about the Jack, Eric Jackson struggling a little bit. Um, he got some matchups. I think Quiddy Pay had a really nice day, and he, he was the guy that got to Jackson a few times. Uh, junior, I mean, is he someone that's on the radar for this next draft? I, yeah, I think so. I think he's putting himself on that radar. Uh, he's just so active and good pad level in his rush. Uh, you know, he doesn't sacrifice uh, his balance or his quickness when he plays low. Uh, and they'll rush him from inside, outside. They'll move him around. Um, so yeah, I think uh, Pay's really done a nice job this year, stepping up into more of a, uh, a, a bigger role for him. Um, so he, he stood out. And then another guy who stood out, uh, for Iowa, Gino Stone, uh, who uh, safety really like him running the alley. He's one of the better open field tacklers that I've scouted this year. It doesn't matter if it's a screen, if it's a swing pass an outside run. I mean, he does a really nice job, uh, getting past the blockers and then, Calming his feet, breaking down, making a sound tackle in space. And that's something that is one of the more underrated traits for a safety. Uh, just a lot of guys are fast, but putting on the brakes and making sound open field tackles, uh, that's it's something that some guys, a lot of guys will struggle with. Uh, but not Geno Stone. Like I said, he's one of the better open field tacklers that I've seen so far this year. And that was, uh, and that was a top 20 matchup in the Big Ten. The big one in that conference it was Michigan State going to Ohio State on Saturday night and looked for a little while there like Michigan State was going to be able to do its Michigan State thing and sort of just grind it out and hang in there. And then Ohio State's offense just took over as it has. Uh, I actually thought, you know, they only scored 10 points. I actually thought Brian Lewerke played all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't get a lot of help. It was another game where there were quite a few drops. We talked about uh, – Daryl Stewart, some of those other guys before, he didn't get a lot of help in, in some key spots from them. I thought he played okay, but uh, J.K. Dobbins had 172 yards on the ground for Ohio State. Uh, Benjamin Victor had uh, 79 yards and a touchdown. I know he's one of the guys that uh, you wrote about just this week. You put up a post on the Athletic uh, 10 senior NFL prospects who put themselves into the draft discussion. He was one of those guys, so uh, maybe we can jump into that game uh, with him. Yeah, and he's – I compare Victor to basically the football version of Gumby because he's he's so limber. He's so flexible. He's tall, skinny, really long arms. I mean, he has – I was talking to a scout about him, and the scout told me he has legit 34-inch arms, which is longer than a lot of offensive linemen have. Um, so he has that tall, long frame, really skinny, but he's so flexible, so limber uh, with how he moves. Uh, it's just – the book on him, his entire career has just been the inconsistent focus. Uh, he will drop uh, way too many passes um, and just he struggles to be consistent in that area. Now, he's gotten better. Uh, he's cut down on the drops, uh, but he had a big one uh, on the, on the in the game Saturday night. Uh, now, he did make up for it with uh, that touchdown, but he was also wide open because of uh, the, the play format and the design, uh, which allowed him to be open. But to his credit, he did. Uh, you know, kind of do the rest. He was able to uh, outpace the the secondary and the pursuit and then had a nice dive into the end zone for the score. So, uh, you know, he was one of the players who there's, you know, it's easy to, I think he's an easy evaluation. You know, 
everything you need to know about him. Uh, the physical traits are there uh, with what, like what I just described, but it just, can he get better with his focus? Can he be more consistent? And so far, I think he's gotten better. He's still not there. He's not all the way there. But if we're talking in the late rounds and a team's looking for a player that may be ascending and, you know, continuing to get better, then Victor could be a possibility. And that, that was really the purpose of this uh, article that I put out this week. You know, I, two weeks ago, I did that Risers article, which had, you know, the Joe Burrows of the world and those guys. This article focused strictly on players who did not have a draftable grade over the summer. Um, and, you know, I don't know how all 32 teams feel on every single player. But just, you know, talking with dozens and dozens of scouts and other guys in the industry and, you know, just getting a feel for where these guys were coming into the year. Um, you know, th- these were 10 players who I did not hear one person uh, have a draftable grade on them. But now, kind of following up with those guys, uh, the narrative's changing a little bit because of how these players are performing as seniors uh, and, the, and what they're able to do. Uh, two Buckeyes on that list, uh, as you mentioned, Benjamin Victor, Devon Hamilton, a defensive tackle, uh, 6'4", 320 pounds. Uh, he had the fumble recovery on that uh, option play uh, that Michigan State uh, fumbled in the first quarter. Um, but then getting back to that game, we talked about on Thursday how the big matchup was going to be Dobbins versus uh, Bocce at linebacker. And it, he, uh, you, know, you know, Michigan State with the, their blitz packages and how they were able to put pressure on the pocket, I mean, we, we heard a lot from Bocce, but really as the game wore on, uh, the Ohio State offensive line did a really nice job eliminating uh, Bocce and opening those run lanes. And the safeties for Michigan State were not able to kind of make up for uh, when the linebackers were accounted for. So uh, the Ohio State just looks like they're going to steamroll through uh, the Big Ten. Um, I mean, it's Penn State. They have Penn State and Michigan back-to-back weeks in November, and you know that'll be certainly be a big test. And if they end up seeing Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game, uh, that'll be that'll be what three weeks in a row: Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin. So that would be absolutely fascinating. Um, but here, where we are now, I mean, Ohio State has to be considered one of, if not the best team in the nation. Yeah, and I'm really—I mentioned Dobbins. I, I really do like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's a really good back. He seems like he could be a three-down guy at the next level. He's done some stuff in the passing game for them. He's definitely big enough to, if you want to keep him in and, and just use him for some blitz pickup or pass protection, he's certainly got enough size to do that. Uh, it's obviously, you know, something that it can can hold up rookie running backs a little bit just to transition into those next schemes and uh, reading those defenses. But he seems comfortable. Uh, on all three downs, he's putting up huge numbers. I mean, like you said, it, it helps to have that offensive line in front of you and this offense, the way it's rolling. Like, I don't know who's going to slow him down, mm-hmm. um, but I think he's having a really nice day, a really nice season. He had another big game, 172 yards, a long touchdown run Saturday. So, yeah, Ohio State's just uh, just cruising. One other guy on that, uh, that list of, of players who put themselves into the draft discussion, we talked about him a little bit before is uh, Jacob Breeland, the tight end at Oregon. And we had mentioned that game too as sort of a measuring stick moment for Justin Herbert because Cal's defense is pretty tough. And we saw that the first half, it was 7-0 Cal at halftime. Oregon didn't really get anything going uh, until the third quarter, wound up winning 17-7. But um, Breeland had 87 yards, five catches. Uh, Herbert finished with 214 through the air, a touchdown. Um, Did that game do anything for you for either of those guys? 
Uh, Breland, yes. I mean, because he continues to be just the the safety valve uh, for for Herbert. Um, he looks a lot quicker than he did last year. He looks stronger. Um, you know, I uh, read that he worked really hard in the offseason just to get better. And I think it shows because he, he looks like a better player. And there's no reason for him to come off the field uh, in that Oregon offense. Uh, because uh, of what he offers, and he clearly has chemistry with with Herbert, and um, so uh, you know he he came in on this list uh, number one. He's the only tight end in, in uh, a Power Five conference to have at least 350 yards receiving, at least five touchdowns uh, so far this year. And like I said, he's just he's been a model of consistency with his ability to get open down the seam, uh, you know, be a, a target, a reliable target on money downs. So I think Jacob Breland, who, again, he came into the year undrafted, uh, did not hear one scout have a draftable grade on him. Uh, but now, you know, 6'5", 250 pounds, uh, he, he looks quicker. Uh, his routes look more crisp than last year. Uh, I think he's working himself into that draft discussion. And, you know, we, we mentioned it before, the biggest benefit that you can have uh, for a player like Jacob Breland is having a quarterback like Herbert, who is talented, yes, but... It's the fact that scouts are tuning in and going through Eugene specifically to go see the quarterback, but that helps everybody else. Offensive linemen, it helps wide receivers, helps tight ends, and that's where I think Breland's certainly going to benefit uh, with all the attention that Herbert's getting. And in terms of Herbert, I, you know, it's just, and I, I, I've talked with other people about this. It's just, I don't know. It feels like that offense has training wheels on it, and they just they they yeah. will not let him. Let it loose. They will not let him. And you know, he, Her, Herbert had his first um, interception on Saturday of the season. So you know, I maybe they they backed off a little bit after that. I don't know. And I know they want to establish the run. That's a big part of the uh, their identity. Uh, with Verdell is a really good running back, and they have a, an offensive line that can create holes for him. But you have a Lamborghini in your garage, and you're just. Driving them, driving it around the block. I mean, let it go on the highway. You know, go up to ninety, go up to triple digits. <laughs> let them, right. l- let it loose a little bit. Uh, and you know, and that's not just from a scouting perspective. Uh, I mean, I don't want to be selfish and say like, you know, make my job easier by letting them throw it. But you know, in terms of Oregon and being able to move the football, uh, you know, you have this really talented player, uh, and you know, he can use his legs as well as his arm. Just wish they would put more on their quarterback to, you know, help them win games. Yeah. I mean, and also, like you said, from a, from a scouting perspective, <laughs> we would like to sure. see that. Exactly. Be exactly. It would help for sure. Uh, and they have, you know, they go to Washington in a couple weeks. They've got Washington State still on the schedule. They go to Arizona State later. So, some more tests coming for Oregon. Um, I, we want, I want to get to the NFL. I'm going to put a pin in. I was going to ask you about Isaiah Hodgins, who's just blowing up for Oregon State. They've got Utah coming in this week, so maybe we'll hit him in the Thursday game. But I, I teased last week uh, one of your guys that you brought up uh, on TheAthletic.com is uh, Adam Troutman, the tight end at Dayton. He had four touchdowns this week. I saw one of them. They, uh, <laughs> they tried to cover him. Jacksonville tried to cover him with a – Five nine, one eighty cornerback. They just throw a fate like that's not. Come on, you're not gonna be able to do that. But uh, just uh, you know, he's uh, he's a guy that seems like he's he's gaining some steam here, and obviously a four touchdown performance helps. But um, not a lot of eyes on on Dayton football on a weekly basis from a you know TV perspective, or sure even a scouting perspective. So what is it about him that jumps out for you? 
Well, he just he has the athletic profile that you want for a guy that size. And he's 6'5", 265. Um, and, you know, for anybody that hasn't yet, I – I, I would urge you to check out my my meet the prospect with him uh, that I did back in September. Um, he he never played an offensive position in his life besides quarterback uh, uh, until he got to Dayton and he saw a chance to get on the field. And so he uh, had or he went to the coaches and during practice they had him run a few routes. Uh, and after about five minutes, they said, "Okay, yeah, take take your non contact jersey off. Uh, you're you're, gonna, you're a tight end now." So, and it, it's, he's flourished at, at that position and he's just, he's a mismatch nightmare, uh, at the FCS level. And the big test for him will be at the senior bowl. Um, I would be absolutely floored if Adam Troutman is not at the senior bowl. He is absolutely one of the six best senior tight ends. He is a draftable player. And the better question might be, can he do enough to get himself in the top 100 discussion? Because uh, then he's going to test well. Like I said, 6'5", 265. I expect him to run in the high four sixes, low four sevens. Um, I, so I expect the testing part to be there. And the senior bowl will be big, going up against better competition and just seeing how he how he does in that type of setting. So and I'm glad you brought him up and because he's definitely a player that we'll be talking about uh, quite a bit more as we go through the draft process. I think it's been a while since Dayton's had a drafted player, right? Do you know off the top of your head? It's been it, like no, two yeah, or three decades, look, I think. Yeah, I looked it up when I did the piece, and it was it was a long time. So, yeah, it's uh, Dayton's not known as uh, much of a football powerhouse, to say the least. Yeah, uh, unlike uh, Samford, right? That transition <laughs> into our NFL talk discussion here. Devin uh, Hodges did okay, unfortunately, huh? <laughs> Yeah, he looked – I mean – Unfortunately, it happened with another, like, a really scary injury to Mason yeah. Rudolph. But, yeah, I thought Devlin Hodges certainly didn't seem overwhelmed in the moment. And, really, the play that flipped the game in overtime, uh, the fumble forced by Marlon Humphrey there, was a pretty nice throw under pressure uh, by Devlin Hodges, too. So, they, you know, I think they had a chance to go down the field and win that game. I thought he held up pretty well. We talked about him a little bit when he <laughs> stepped into the backup role, but – uh, maybe we can expand on him now. Like th- this is at least for a week or two. Seems like it's going to be his gig. So, uh, sort of the game we've been playing with everyone, every other rookie quarterback. Is this? Is there a possibility that he could be all right doing this? Well, it, I mean, he's off to a good start. I, I have strong doubts just because he's not the most physically talented guy. Um, he's just over six foot, 212 pounds, and his arm is very, very average. Um, but look, you can't ignore what he did at the college level. I mean, he broke Steve McNair's uh, passing records at that level. Um, and you don't do that by just being just an ordinary player. So I, to me, when I scouted him, I saw, I mentioned this last week, but the FCS version of Trace McSorley. Uh, just a undersized guy, doesn't have the physical traits necessarily that you look for, but he could make things happen. Uh, he stays really poised. And I, I tweeted out some bullet points on him and just kind of what I saw when I scouted him at Sanford. But uh, really poised. Uh, he he always knows where the check down is. I mean, he does a really nice job of, uh, you know, coming off and going through his reads and, uh, you know, at least getting that dump off throw. Too many times I'm watching him and he's he has those what are you doing throws and he he had that interception that was called back and that was one of those what are you thinking right. throws um but if you can limit those and you know just not your joe take what's there and not force things then you know he's got a shot and this is a guy who not only was did he go undrafted he didn't get signed 
after the draft. Uh, the Steelers brought him in for a tryout and they ended up, you know, keeping him around as a camp arm and then cut him. And then after uh, the Roethlisberger injury, then they brought him back in the fold. But this isn't a guy who was, you know, highly sought after after the draft. And so it's it's not that he just wasn't even an undrafted free agent. He wasn't even signed. So, you know, it, there are things stacked against him. But hey, I, he, he looked good. And, you know, uh, what, a, a half of play. He did enough to at least, uh, you know, prove why he belongs on the roster as as a backup at this point. Yeah, and they've got uh, – we'll see how long he's in the starting job, but they have a prime national TV game coming up this week at, at the Chargers, then their bye, and then a Monday nighter uh, against the Dolphins, which ESPN might be regretting that decision. <laughs> but he could be getting uh, some exposure here over the next couple of Steelers games. That season kind of on the brink now. Uh, it already was. But, I mean, I will say the one thing maybe to his benefit is that they'd sort of – I don't want to, I, mean, I guess, scaled back the offense after the switch from Roethlisberger to Mason Rudolph and and tried to, you know, give Mason Rudolph, it seemed at least, some of those easier looks and shorter passes. So maybe I would assume they'll continue to do that moving forward uh, with Devlin Hodges here. Um, yeah. And speaking uh, of another, uh, ESPN, yeah. uh, maybe regretting some choices on Monday Night <laughs> Football, uh, the, what was the final 31 3 last night? Uh, oh, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure there were a lot of eyeballs on that game, so they probably don't regret it. Uh, you know, sure. it's, the Browns are a must watch team just because you don't know what's going to happen from week to week. And man, they got thoroughly outcoached. And, you know, I bring it up because we have to mention Nick Bosa. And I mean, the guy is just an animal. Uh, he's, he has been banged up this year. He has been 100%, and he's still been dominant. And say what you will about the Browns' offensive line. Um, it's not a great unit. I mean, there's no denying that. But it, it, let's appreciate good players being good. And Nick Bosa is a really good player who does not look like a rookie. Um, he's been able to step in from day one and be a difference maker. And I think he's only going to get better from here as he continues to adjust to uh, NFL level blocking. So uh, last night was his uh, maybe a little bit of a coming out party for him on, on national TV. And uh, like I said, I th- think he's uh, only going to pick up from here. Yeah, I mean, that was it was everyone really. It was just like you said, it was pretty dominant effort. 49ers undefeated still, but he was he just clobbered them up front and really they didn't have an answer for him no matter what they threw his direction um, just blew up play after play uh, for for Baker Mayfield that Cleveland offense totally bogged down and we had talked going into the game too about how uh, Justin School would hold up playing for the 49ers and I think that I mean I haven't gone back and watched it but just watching it live it seemed like he was at least serviceable you know he seemed like he did a decent job in that role and that offense obviously like I said it was 31 to 3 rolled pretty much uh until they didn't really need points anymore yeah no I agree uh Miles Garrett hit his sack I believe was against McGlinchey so um yeah no the left tackle stepped up and did a nice job and I you know I I think coming in a lot of people were skeptical of the 49ers being an undefeated team but Tell you what, they they thoroughly outcoached the Browns, and now for Cleveland, they've they got a short week while the uh, go play the Seahawks, and the Seahawks who played on Thursday, coming off a big win, have a longer week, um, and then they have a bye week, and then the Patriots, and so 
it's uh it's gonna be tough sledding for the Browns here coming up. They gotta get things figured out on, on offense. Uh, they need to get guys healthy on defense, specifically the corners, uh, Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward. Uh, and they the Browns really mission Rashard Higgins. We saw that Antonio Callaway. Uh, you just it, you can't trust the guy. Um, and it is what it is. I mean, he's fine as a fourth receiver to you know bring in once in a while, but they're really missing Rashad Higgins in that offense, and that showed last night as well. And we'll wrap here with one more rookie we've talked about a little bit. Josh Jacobs uh, for Oakland had 123 yards, two touchdowns in the Raiders win over the Bears over in London there. Um, David Montgomery on the other side, 11 carries for 25 yards. That offense continues to be uh, pretty frustrating, I think, if you're a Bears fan. But Josh Jacobs, we said this hasn't been a, a great start for the rookie running back class. Josh Jacobs has been pretty solid now for five weeks and another big game here. Uh I mean, he looks like a legit number one back at this point, even this early in his career. Yeah, no, I agree. And and it's not just the, the rushing, but it's the receiving. It's it's hearing Derek Carr rave about Josh Jacobs as a pass uh, protector uh, in that role. So, you know, he can do it all. He, you can leave him on the field in any down, any situation. And anytime he has the football, uh, you know, he has a chance to make something happen. So, yeah, no, I agree. He's he was the only running back drafted in the top fifty picks, and he has played like he should have been. And uh, you know the Raiders, and he went to a good situation where we knew he was going to get fed. Uh, you know, John Gruden. As much as we talk about quarterbacks with John Gruden, uh, he really loves a, a true three down running back that he can rely on, and that's Josh Jacobs. Um, you know, aside from that pitch that he missed. Uh, you know, it was a is a pretty uh, pretty good day for him, and uh, as long as he stays healthy, I, yeah, I think Josh Jacobs is going to be your. Uh, well, we'll see with if Gardner Minshew can hold up, but I think Josh Jacobs might be the offensive rookie of the year front runner at this point. Yeah, and the Raiders are also starting to get a little production from a guy that I liked going into the draft and thought had a nice week at the Senior Bowl. Uh, Foster Moreau mm. uh, had a good game for them too, so. Uh, again, some production from those young guys. We'll see if uh, Josh Jacobs can keep it up. And as mentioned, we'll be back Thursday with our look ahead to the coming college football and NFL weekend. That's our show that's for Athletic subscribers only. So make sure you hop on theathletic.com slash prospects to pros for 40% off if you haven't subscribed yet. If you're already a subscriber, you can get that show for free on our app. Uh, it, we appreciate you subscribing, of course, and like I said, hope you will leave us a review uh, either on Apple or iTunes or wherever. Or hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Chris Burke NFL. Dane's at DP Brugler. DP Brugler. Uh, so thanks again for listening. Uh, for Dane and our producer, Kent Garrison, I'm Chris Burke, and we'll talk to you in a couple days.